Okay, we are, this is our last week on our series on good works. We're going to do something different for the month of December. Uh, we will have singing tonight, right? We're having singing night tonight. It is the fourth Sunday, I believe. Uh, so that is what we will do this evening. As we wrap up our series on being devoted to good works, we have to address a common problem in any discussion on good works, not just what we've been discussing, that ultimately our good works are not good enough. They cannot be. So when we base our relationship with God on good works, that is the good time, and we can think about the things that we've done, right? Where things that we've talked about. Uh, we've talked about hospitality and visiting and teaching, and uh, we talked a little bit about giving. We talked a little bit about uh, about uh, uh, fellowship and the ways that we encourage one another, exhortation. We've talked about all these good things, sharing and benevolence and, and helping one another. When we base our relationship with God on those things, it ultimately creates a serious problem because it's easy for a life that is built around good works to fall into the traps of doubt, shame, and guilt. Because you're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. Right? We ask, am I doing enough? No. No, you are not. I can say that. I can say that with 100% confidence. That nobody in this room is doing good enough. What more could I be doing? I don't know in your life what more you could be doing. But I know there's people you could help. There's people you could be, be encouraging. There's more people you could be showing hospitality to. There's more good, more good that you could be doing. And ultimately, when we start to base our relationship with God on works, we get into the, 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 the sort of the balance sheet, right? Where at the back of our minds, there's always going to be this question, right? Surely this can't make up for... Maybe you don't use the word evil. Maybe you use the word, I don't know, the, the bad that you've done the wickedness that you've done, whatever word you want to put in there, the way that you've mistreated others, the ways that you've mistreated God, the ways that you've done bad in your life, and there's that nagging doubt in the back of your mind, is this enough? Is this enough? Have I finally made up for it? And the answer, of course, is no, you haven't. You've not made up for it. It's true. You won't ever be good enough to do good enough to make up for your sin. I shouldn't say you there because it includes me too, right? I will never be good enough to do good enough to make up for my sin. I just won't ever do that. There will always be more good that I can do. And thinking that there's this magical line, I don't know, maybe we don't think about this consciously, but I think sometimes we have it sort of in our, in our, in the, in our minds that there's this magical line that if, if I do enough, if I get past this magical line of good works, then it's going to overcome my doubt and my failures and my shame and my guilt. That if I can, maybe if I can make my life 70% good, or 80% good. I very much doubt that you ever think about it in those terms. But we act that way. We act as if there's this magical number. That if I can do 12 good works a day. Then my shame and my guilt will go away. My feelings of inadequacy will go away. But they won't. We must change our relationship with good works. We need to put them in their proper place in our relationship with God. And as we've said, first, nobody lives a good enough life to be right with God. Nobody does. 
Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That word wrath is really a great English word. Because the way you say it, wrath, evokes, I think, the feelings of it, like the rest of mankind. Now, among whom we all once lived, who's included in the all? Well, it certainly includes Paul, right, the writer of the letter. We all lived, he's including himself in this, we all lived among what? In the passions of the flesh. Living among the sons of disobedience. And he includes himself in that. Of course, he, we, we think about the different, again, we get into this idea of levels of good. That Paul was, he was doing wicked, of course, but he was at least trying to be a good person. He was trying to do the right thing, right? He was trying to follow God, but that was not good enough, right? Not good enough. He was a son of disobedience because he was not following the way of Christ. No matter his intentions, no matter how good he thought he was, no matter how good he was trying to follow God, didn't matter. He followed the passions of the flesh. And that would then, of course, include all of the people that he's writing to in Ephesus. Some of them probably really good people. Some of them probably really generous and really encouraging and, and really nice and kind and forgiving and loving. And too bad. We all once lived among the sons of disobedience and the passions of the flesh. And then were by nature then children of wrath. That is what? What does that mean by nature children of wrath? Destined for wrath. That is the natural consequence of being a son of disobedience, a child of disobedience. The natural consequence, because by nature, right, the natural consequence of that is wrath. God's wrath. Wrath upon the, upon the unrighteous. And again, it's very important to note this. He's not excluding anybody from this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. We once lived in the passions of our flesh. Everybody's included in this. Galatians 2, 5, 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in, uh, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He says it a different way in Romans, right? There is none righteous, no, not one. Now we can debate what law means here. Uh, is Paul talking about the old law, the law of Moses? Is he talking about law in general? He's talking about just the idea of obedience. Nobody's going to be justified by obedience. Doesn't matter. The ultimate point is the same. No one is good enough to be considered just. This word justified. To be made righteous. You will not be made righteous by your own works because you are sinful. This applies before our salvation and also after. Because of this, the salvation of Jesus cannot be, is not, and cannot be dependent on works. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified or made righteous. Ephesians 
2, 4 through 9. But God being rich in mercy because of our great, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, you just got done saying what? You were once dead in your trespasses. But even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's interesting that this is being talked about in the present tense. He raised us up and seated us with him. Not will seat us with him. Not will eventually will be seated with him. He has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I don't know, I don't know how it could be any clearer than this. There is no other statement in the entire New Testament about this that is clearer. Your salvation is not because you are good. It's not because you've done enough. It's not because you figured out the magic right work to do that would make you saved. What's his point there? So that no one may boast. Boast about what? Boast about how good you are. Boast about how much good you've done. Boast about how awesome I am. Oh, I'm so great. Think about all these great things that I've done. I'm so great. No, that's what he's saying. Stop boasting. Stop boasting about the good that you do. Titus 3, 1 through 7, remind them to be submissive. This is the church. Remind the church to be submissive to rules and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy to all people. This is good works. That's what he's talking about here. Remind them to do good, right? To be doing good all the time. Be ready to do good. Why? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, made righteous, being made good enough, right? The word justified, we could say, you are made good enough. Good enough for God. Being made, uh, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The shame, the guilt, the feelings of inadequacy, those are natural things to feel because they are true. Because you are guilty. I have done things to be ashamed of. I am inadequate. But that's kind of the point, isn't it? When he, we read these verses, he did it because of his great love, because of his great mercy, because of his goodness and loving kindness. I'm not good enough, but God is. He's more than good enough. He's so much more than good enough that his excess goodness makes up for my lack of goodness. So stop basing your identity as a Christian on how many good works you can do. Because it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be sufficient. It's never, the, the doing of good is never going to be the thing 
that alleviates your guilt and shame and inadequacy. That's not what can do it. Jesus already did it. Now, the fact, of course, that we can't be good enough doesn't mean that good works don't matter. That's what we've been talking about for the last, I don't know, 10 weeks. Because there is a purpose to this saving grace, this saving goodness and mercy of God who saved us through Jesus' goodness, through Jesus' blood, through what he did for us, to do what? Why did he do that? Ephesians 2, we keep reading in 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The thing that makes this good enough is not our works, it's his works. The things that he has done make us what we're supposed to be. We are his workmanship. That is, a good work that he has done is making us. And when he saves us through this faith, through this grace, through this awesome, saving Jesus power, then what does that lead to in our lives? Very exciting. That should lead us to the good works, shouldn't it? Because we are created in Christ Jesus for those good works. So it's not like good works don't matter. They're just not the thing that saves us. Good works aren't unimportant. They're why we have been saved. We've been saved to do them. That we should walk in them, right? This is what God saved us for. To do the good that he has prepared for us. What, what is the good that he has prepared for us? What's well, all the things we just have talked about for the last 10 weeks of helping one another and sharing what we have and being hospitable and encouraging one another and, and doing these good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He prepared us. When did he prepare us these good works for us to do? When it says beforehand, what does that mean? He prepared them before you responded to the gospel. Before you became a Christian, he had these works prepared for you. He prepared them before the church was established. Before Jesus came. Before, I would submit to you, before any of history at all. God prepared these good works for us to do. Did he know that you would have a neighbor that would need help when he created the world? Well, sure he did. He knew that. Did he know that your friend would be really discouraged on the third Tuesday of April in 2024? Did he know that that was going to happen when he created the world? Well, yeah, of course he did. And he has then put you in a position to fulfill that good work, to walk in it, if you'll so choose. If we don't do then these good works, what happens to the purpose of our salvation, the purpose of God's saving grace and mercy, the thing that he saved us for goes unfulfilled. He created us for these good works. Titus 2, 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, uh, for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. These are the things he talked about, right? You were dead in your trespasses. We all once lived in the passions of the flesh. We all once did this. But why did the saving grace of God appear? To train us to renounce those things, to put them away, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to redeem us from doing the bad works and to start doing the good ones. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous 
for good works. A central part of God's purpose was to make people who want to do good. Are you zealous for good works? Not because you think you're going to be good enough, right? That's not why you were zealous for them. I'm not zealous for the good works because I think that if I do enough good works, I'm going to be good enough for God. Right? I've already, we're, we're submitting that we're throwing that attitude out the window. I'm zealous for good because I am not good enough and God has saved me anyway. Because God has given me his mercy and love and, and I'm so thankful for that that I want to do what he wants me to do. I want to do the good works because I know that I'm inadequate. But he wants me to do them anyway. Because he is enough. And he has more than enough to make up for my inadequacies. So I do the best that I can. I'm zealous for these good works because of his mercy for me. The good works are an extension of my gratitude for his grace. An extension of my deep understanding of how much he loved me. A natural outpouring of the love that I should have for the one who first loved me. Right? He was first in that. And so I respond to his love and grace and mercy by being zealous for the things that he has prepared for me to do. The good works. Galatians 5, 16 through 21. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing, doing the things that you want to do. What are the things that I want to do? I want to do good, right? I want to do the good works. But the flesh still struggles against that, right? My old self, my old way of thinking, the old me that wants to just live for self, the me that's not good enough keeps wanting to do those old things, which we'll read what they are in just a minute. This eternal, constant struggle. Have you ever felt a day in your whole life where you didn't have that struggle? I know I haven't. Every day. The flesh versus the spirit. Wars within me. What am I going to do? What path am I going to follow? But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do. It is a matter of doing. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why do you do what you do? What part of you is being gratified? Right? We think about gratifying I could gratify the desires of the flesh, or I could gratify the desires of the spirit. Maybe, you're, you're, maybe you've never thought about it, why you're doing what you do. That would be part of the problem, because the natural thing, the flesh, is going to pull you away from the spirit, right? It's going to pull you away from doing what God wants you to do into these things. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we contrast the Works of the flesh with what? As he continues, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All the things that we've talked about, the good works that we've talked about, they are extensions of these. They are in some way either caused by these things or things that result in these, right? So we can think about hospitality, which is an extension of love and peace, right? And kindness. We can think about encouragement, which is, again, love and kindness. And, and uh, we can think about the good works of, of sharing what we have. Well, that's self-control because I'm not just going to use all of what I have for myself. I'm going to save some and, and I'm going to use it for helping other people, right? All of these things are extensions. The good works feed off of these. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We don't belong to Christ Jesus because we've crucified the flesh. We've crucified the flesh by belonging to Jesus. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. A fruit is the result of some growth and long-term process. Jesus talks about the vine and the branches, right? He is the vine. He's the one that's supplying the growth and the nutrients and the things that I need to do this, to have these in my life. It comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from me. It comes from Jesus. It comes from his presence and power and working in my life. And this is a long-term process. The good that we do is a result of the Spirit, God working within us. And as we grow and mature, because we're growing, right? We produce more fruit, regardless of how much you have in the past. Is it enough fruit? No, because you're not perfect. It's, I should say this. It's not enough to be good enough. But it's enough for God if what? What makes our works enough for God? If I love him, I'm trying as hard as I can, I'm turning away from the things that I used to do in my life, I'm improving and growing and maturing. I'm not perfect. I'm not doing it all the time. I'm not doing as many as I could. But if I'm continually producing more than I am in step with the Spirit, I am walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Philippians 2, 12-13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in the, as in my presence, but as in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. How? Am I sharing what I have? He's working in me. In my encouragement of others, he's working in me. In my worship, he's working in me. In my sharing of the gospel, he is working in me. Yeah, you are not good enough. But he is. And as he works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, do you think he'll help you in the things that you're doing? Do you think he'll make up for your lack? Do you think he'll help you overcome the difficulties of the flesh, the things in our hearts and in our minds that keep us from doing the good that we want to do? Don't you think that God wants to help you overcome that? That's one of the whole purposes of this whole saving thing. That we would do the good works that he prepared beforehand. So, while you're not going to work your way into heaven, you can definitely work your way out of it. If what? If you go back and go do these things. Oh wait, we'll go up further back here. 
If you go back and keep doing these things, right? If you think, well, I'm not good enough, so I just don't need to do anything. Isn't that a, a response that sometimes we have? I'm not going to be good enough, so why even bother? Why even try? And in fact, that's what Paul is talking about in Romans, right? When he talks about, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, I'm not going to be good enough, so maybe I'll just keep sinning so that I can have more grace. And what's Paul's response to that? Of course not. And I kind of think he has like, of course not, you dumbos. Stop thinking that way. I've been saved by grace so that I can do the good so that God can work in me. God, who works not for our pleasure, but for his. The things that he wants us to do. As we conclude, maybe you're struggling with feelings of shame and guilt. Throughout this week, maybe you thought to yourself, you, you saw some good that you didn't do. Maybe there was some good that you, you knew you should do, but you, ah, I'm with family. I just ate a bunch of turkey. I'm too tired. I don't know what it is. But these things feed on us, don't they? They feed into our, our own feelings of inadequacy and guilt and shame and all oh, the things I could be doing that I'm not doing and the th people that I could be talking to and I'm not talking to, the, the ways that I could be sharing with others and I'm not sharing with others. And yes, you did bad. But there's opportunity to do good now, isn't there? As long as it's today, as long as we have breath in our bodies, you could choose to do good through the God who works in you to his pleasure, his will and pleasure. If you feel inadequate, welcome to the club. We're all inadequate, but Jesus is not. And he wants to save you, amen? Does Jesus want to save you? Does it matter what you've done in the past? Does it matter how bad you've been? Does Jesus still want to save you? Yes, he does. So that he can make you good instead of yourself.